Yes, you have your Valentine's Day warning, so fellas, don't forget. If a girl forgets, it's okay. If a guy forgets, it is not okay. So don't forget Valentine's Day. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? That good? All right. Hey, the sun's out. How are you guys doing? Yeah, there we go. And it's been so overcast lately, but the sun is out today, and it's a great day. My name is Dave Shive, and I'm one of the pastors here at TBA Church, and I just want to say it is truly an honor to be with you this morning. Now, before we get started, how many of you were at the baptism celebration last Sunday? Yeah. Let me just tell you this. If you weren't here last Sunday, if you weren't able to make it, you really missed out on an amazing time to share with those who were proclaiming to the whole world what Jesus has done in their hearts. See, I don't know about you, but for me, Baptism Sunday, it's one of those Sundays that I just don't want to miss because it's the icing on the cake. I mean, we exist to help people find Jesus. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. And when those people find him, they want to share with their new brothers and sisters in Christ what God has done in their hearts through baptism. And I want to make sure that I'm a part of that. I never want to miss that. Plus, all the food was awesome. And all the groups that dressed up, I mean, they were great. Everybody came in their own theme. It was awesome. One group had a bacon theme. They had chocolate-covered bacon and bacon cookies. And it was really good. So for all of you guys, all you spar groups that participated in the tailgate, dressed up, made food, thank you so much. Thank you so much because of your generosity and your hospitality. The day was an amazing success, so thank you guys. All right, let's get started today. We are beginning a new series called TBA. TBA. Now, it's a little humorous to me to think about how we came upon the name of TBA. And if you don't know the story of how we got our name, make sure you come to the newcomer's lunch in about a month, and you're going to hear this amazing story of how God took two churches of two different denominations and merged them together against all the odds. And we did that because God told us to do it. Even though the experts in church growth in the Christian community, they all told us that it's going to fail and that we would destroy two healthy churches by doing it. But we went forward anyways, trusting in God in every step. In fact, the merger, it happened so fast and it happened so easily that we were caught unprepared and without a name. And then somebody jokingly said, well, let's just call it To Be Announced. And that's what we did. We called it TBA. We were the To Be Announced Church. That was our logo. Y'all remember that logo? That's what we were. And we did that because we knew that it would show people in our community what God is doing, that God was taking two churches and bringing them together. And then it would give us some time uh, as pastors to seek out what God wanted TBA Church to be, what he wanted it to be about. And so that's what we did. And then a year later, as we began to build on this property, we went to our branding company and we said, okay, here's what God's calling us to be as a church. This is what our heartbeat is. This is the vision for the church. You guys need to help us come up with a name that resonates with that vision. And so the branding company, they went and they did a lot of research and they talked to a lot of different people and they came back to us and they said, it would be crazy, not only would it be crazy, it would be stupid if you change your name. 
Because everybody in the community knows you as TBA. And so they presented to us this idea of trusting, believing, and acting, which was exactly the heartbeat of what God was calling us to be. And these are the cool things. These are the cool things that I love about God because I don't think anybody in their right mind in a million years would ever pick TBA as a name for a church. I mean, they just wouldn't, but God had other plans. And I can tell you, our name is so unique. There is not another church in the whole country called TBA. And even after all of this time, our name still creates a buzz. Everybody knows where TBA church is. When people ask me where do I go to church and I tell them TBA, they immediately go, oh yeah, you're that new church on 540A. And then it opens up this conversation. And this is the cool part that I love about God because inevitably the next question that I get asked is, so what does TBA stand for anyways? And that opens the door for a very cool story because not only do I have the opportunity to tell them what the acronym TBA means, but I have the opportunity to tell them what TBA really is about, about who we are, about why we believe that God has us here, about what our purpose and the vision God has for us here at TBA. So this morning and the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what TBA really stands for, what it really means to trust God in every area of our lives, what it means to believe in the name and power of Jesus Christ, and what it means to act as his hands and feet in the community around us. And so today we're going to start with trust. What does it mean to trust? Well, the definition of trusting is this. It's to rely upon or place confidence in someone or something. See, we trust in so many things in our everyday lives. We trust that our alarm clock is going to go off and wake us up in the morning. We trust that when we get in our car and turn the key, that car is going to start. We trust that when we get in an elevator, that we're going to be able to go up and down without any harm coming to us. Now, most of these things, we don't even think about trusting. We just do it naturally. So trusting should be natural and easy, right? Is it natural and easy to trust? How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you in here are naturally trusting people? You just, you trust very naturally. It's easy to you. Okay, how many of you are more of the, you really have to prove it to me before I can trust you kind of group? See, I'm more on that latter group. I, it, because it really depends on the situation for me about whether I trust or not. So here, let's do a little experiment. I'm going to ask you, a question. I'm going to ask you if you will trust me in a certain area. And if you trust me, I want you to raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, that's okay. I'm not going to be offended if you don't trust me. That's fine. Just be honest about it. So the first question I want to ask you is, do you trust me as a pastor? And when I say that, what I mean is, do you trust that I am trying to bring the truth of God's word to you, that I am trying to help you grow in your relationship with Christ? Do you trust me as a pastor? If you do, raise your hand. All right, great. How many of you would trust me with a very important package that you needed delivered to your house to go and pick that package up and bring it to you? How many of you would trust me to do that? All right. How many of you would trust me to watch your kids for a day? How many of you would trust me to watch your kids for a week? No, I'm not offering. How many of you would trust me 
to invest your life savings. Okay, you guys need to come and talk to me because I have a great deal for you. It's called the Dave Shive Scholarship Fund. Okay, how many of you would trust me to perform brain surgery on a loved one? Not very many. No, you're lying. Not very many of you. See, for me, the level of trust I have depends on who is involved and what is at stake. See, it's easy for me to trust that my DVR is going to record Duck Dynasty for me. That's a great show anyways, if you haven't seen it. It's easy for me to trust that because if it doesn't, if it doesn't record it, there's no big loss. It's not that big of a deal. But it's really difficult for me to give the keys of my car to a teenager who just got back from the DMV with a shiny brand new license. See, the stakes are a lot higher. I don't know that I would do that. The level of trust that I have also depends on the intimacy or knowledge that I have in the person that I'm trusting. I mean, what track record do they have? Have they proven themselves to be trustworthy? See, it's easy for me to trust my wife, Ashley, because I know her intimately. We have, we've had time to develop this deep, intimate relationship, and we've built trust into our relationship, and there's a track record there. And yes, there are ups and downs in that record because we all fail at times, but overall, there's a high, high level of trust because of our desire to love each other the best way that we possibly can. But see, it isn't so easy for me to trust a politician that I don't know personally and whose profession has a horrible track record for being truthful and honest. So it all depends. It all depends on the situation. But what about when it comes to trusting God? How do we do with that? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now this is the verse that we have in our lobby. If you've been in our lobby and you've seen our trusting, believing, and acting on the wall, that's the verse that we have for trusting. And it's easy for us to read this verse and go quickly through it and not catch the full meaning of, of what God's trying to say here. So I want to take some time today, and I want to look at each part of this verse. So let's start with the very first part. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Take a moment to think about that. Because it sounds so easy on the surface. Sure, I trust God. I trust Him. But do I really? I mean, what does it really mean to trust God with all of your heart? See, the Hebrew word for heart here is lave, and it's defined this way. One's inner self, inclination, disposition, intention, will, character, mind, loyalty, concern, determination, morale, purpose, attention. In other words, every part of who you are, every single area of your life, Everything that you are involved in, your relationships, your marriage, your singleness, your kids, your inability to have kids, your employment or lack of employment, your financial provision, how you spend that provision, everything, 
Everything needs to be in the hands of God. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's easier said than done. See, some of those things are easier to trust God with than others, especially if I have most of the answers and everything's going very smoothly. See, it's easy for me to say that I trust God with my income as long as I have a job and I'm getting paid. But the moment, the moment I get laid off, man, it really makes it hard to trust God. I mean, it's easy to say that I trust God in my marriage as long as we're getting along. But man, can I trust Him when it looks like divorce is the only option that I have? Why is it so hard for us to trust God? Well, let me ask you this. Which one of these do you want to be in this picture? Which one do you want to be? See, the Fly and Rudels, they were trapeze artists. And they said that there's a special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. The flyer is the one who lets go, and the catcher is the one who catches. And as the flyer swings high above the crowd on the trapeze, there's a moment that comes when he must let go. And he arcs out into the air. And his job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. See, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. But he must wait in absolute trust with his arms outstretched, waiting for the catcher to catch him. And the catcher will catch him but he has to wait. Why is it so hard for us to trust God? It's because we want to know the outcome. We don't want to wait in uncertainty. We want control. We want to be the catcher, not the flyer. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, most of the time the reason that I don't trust God is because I just don't want to. I don't want to. It's pure rebellion. It's disobedience. I mean, ultimately, what we're saying is that we want to be God. We want control. And it goes all the way back to the original sin of Adam and Eve. See, when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they removed themselves from the complete dependence and provision of God. And they tried to put themselves in God's position of choosing what was right for them. And the results were disastrous. And ever since, ever since that happened, God has been making a way for us to get back into that right position, dependent upon Him instead of ourselves. The position of the flyer, being in complete dependence on God the catcher, to save us. I mean, think about it. How well does your life go when you try to take the wheel from God? Is it better or is it worse? Because I don't know about you, but for me, it never ends well when I do that. I always find that the more I try to control, the more out of control my life becomes. When we fight so hard to have control all of the time, but the truth is control is an illusion. It's an illusion. It's so egocentric of us to think that in our own power and in our own strength, we have the control of the outcome of the factors in our lives. 
We just don't. We have to trust in God. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And then do not depend on our own understanding. Do not depend on our own understanding. Why? Because our understanding, our way of thinking is skewed because of sin. Human insights are never enough. God's ways are beyond our understanding. All the wisdom that a person can acquire in their lifetime can never, ever replace the need for full trust in God's ways. Isaiah 55 says this. He says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But yet, so many people make crucial life decisions, decisions in areas such as marriage, finances, and career. And they make those decisions not based upon God's revealed word, but based upon their feelings. Because we've become a culture of feel-right logic. If it feels right, it must be right. That's the way our culture is. If it feels right, well, then it must be right. But Proverbs says this. Proverbs says that our feelings are unreliable. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Those who trust in their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. So you may feel like walking away from your marriage is going to make you happier. You may feel like quitting your job is best for you and your family, even though there isn't another job on the horizon. You may feel like living together without the covenant of marriage is a safe move. You may feel like looking at pornography doesn't hurt anybody. You may feel like flirting with your coworker is innocent and harmless. Listen, I have seen people destroy their lives by what feels right. The wise man does not lean on his own understanding, but trusts that God's way is the best way. And when we choose our own way, we're arrogantly claiming that we know better than God. And again, putting ourselves in that wrong position. We have to trust God with our whole heart. We have to not depend on our own understanding. And we have to seek His will in all that you do. And He'll show you which path to take. In order for us to be able to trust God, for us to know the right decisions to make in our lives, we have to know Him intimately. Not just a nod of recognition, but an ongoing, deep, intimate relationship. Seeking God in all we do is more than just coming here on Sunday morning and acknowledging God in formal worship. It's so much more than that. 
Seeking God in all we do is more than just crying out to God in the middle of a crisis. Seeking His will in all we do means that we go to God with everything. Big, small, it doesn't matter. Every area of our life, we acknowledge that God is sovereign, that He is in control. Again, the reason I trust my wife so well is because of the intimate relationship that we have. We have a track record with with each other built over time. And the same is true when it comes to God. And the reason we don't trust Him is because we don't know Him intimately. We don't know His track record in His life. We haven't allowed Him to prove Himself to be trustworthy in our lives. There is no way that you can trust God if you do not know who He is. Remember, trusting is a reliance upon. It's a confidence in. And you can't have that confidence if you don't know who God is. And you have to begin that journey with Him. You've got to get to know Him. You've got to find out His character. You've got to learn what He's already done. Listen, knowing God having a relationship with Him, it is foundational. It is essential to faith. Christian faith in its basic form is essentially trusting in the person and character of God. And in order to have that trust, we have to get to know Him. I know we've said this a million times, but you have to be in God's Word. You have to be in it. You have to be praying with Him. You have to be in conversation It's the only way to get to know Him. And as we submit our lives to Him, as we get to know who God is, and we understand what His will is for our lives, then that begins a foundation of trust. And as we give more and more over to God and begin to allow Him in every area of our lives, God continues to prove Himself worthy of our trust. And it makes us want to trust Him more. And it becomes very cyclical. And the result is, the result is a heart change. See, as God moves into that right position of our lives, the one in control, the the catcher, as God moves into that position, our heart changes. Our perspective changes. The way we see the world changes. The way that we face trials and suffering change. The way we spend our time changes. The way that we handle our money changes. The way we use our talent changes. Our whole purpose for life changes. It changes. Isaiah 26 says, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws and our hearts desire. Our hearts desire is to glorify your name. But it all begins with submission and giving over control to God. Are you trusting God today? I mean, are you truly trusting Him? Deep down at the core of who you are in every part of your life, are you trusting God? Are you trusting Him with your marriage Is Christ the center of your marriage? Are you loving each other in that sacrificial love that God calls us to? 
Wives, are you respectfully submitting to your husband's leadership? Husbands, are you protecting the heart of your wife, loving her as Christ loved the church? Maybe you feel like there's no hope in your marriage and walking out seems like the only option. Are you trusting God to do the miraculous? Because he can do it. God can take the worst of things that we make it and he can turn them into things of beauty. And he can restore your marriage if you will allow him to. Maybe you're not married at all. Are you trusting God with your singleness? Are you trusting that he will find you the right, spot, the right spouse in his timing? What if his will for you is to never be married? Are you trusting him to give you contentment with that decision for your life? Are you trusting God with your kids? Are you raising them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? Maybe your kids have walked away from God, and maybe they're making all the wrong choices. Are you trusting that God loves your kids more infinitely than you ever could, and that he's doing everything to get their attention and draw them back? Are you trusting God with your job? Are you working with integrity and honesty? Or are you struggling in your current job? Are you trusting God to give you peace at work instead of looking for a way out? I mean, maybe God has you there for a purpose. Do you see your job as a mission field? Do you see yourself as light to your coworkers? Are you trusting God with your finances, knowing that God is your only provider? And are you allowing Him to direct your purchases? Are you being a good steward of what God's given you? Are you faithfully giving back to God? Because if you're not giving back to Him, you're not trusting Him with your whole heart. You're not. Are you trusting God with your time? Do you make Him a priority every single day? And are you using your time and talents for His kingdom? Or is it full of your own busy schedule, fulfilling your own selfish desires? And wants. Has God called you to serve in an amazing, radical, and out of your comfort kind of way? Are you trusting Him to guide your steps, even though it just doesn't make sense? Are you trusting God to deliver you from that struggle or sin that you just can't seem to shake, but man, do you want to? Maybe it's anger or rage. You just keep blowing up at your spouse or your kids and you just don't want to do it anymore. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's a problem. Somebody's hurt you very deeply and you just don't know how to forgive them. Or maybe you're the one who needs forgiveness to get out from under all that guilt that's weighing you down. Are you trusting God to walk you through whatever trial or struggle you're going through. Because I want you to know that that trial that you're going through, whatever it is, that struggle that you have, it may, God may not be the source of it, but you can bet that he is using it to get your attention, to get you to give up control, to get you to that position of falling on your knees and kneeling at the foot of the cross and giving it over to him. Maybe you've never 
even ever taken that first step towards trusting God. And you don't have a relationship with him, so it might be hard for you to even know if God is trustworthy or not. If that's where you're at today, I just want to tell you that's okay. That's okay because God has taken that first step toward you. You see, ever since sin came into the world through Adam's action, God has been making a way to restore all that is broken. And he did that by sending his son, his one and only son, to make amends for us. You see, Jesus suffered and he died a cruel death in order that we can be right with God. An innocent man took our place to atone for our sins. He took our punishment in order for us to have a relationship with God. See, God has proven himself to be more than trustworthy. I mean, if God who loved Jesus, his one and only son, if God who loved him so much gave him up for you and me, then what does that say about how much God loves us? If you don't have that saving relationship with God, that relationship that trusts him not only with your life, but the life after this one, that trusts him where you're going to spend eternity, you can have that relationship today. You can have it today, but it has to begin here at the foot of the cross. Submitting to God and accepting the free gift of salvation offered to you through his grace and allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your whole life and following him with all that you are from this day forward. You should have been given a three-by-five card when you came in. If you didn't get one, find something, anything to write on. Because I'm going to ask the band and the prayer team to come up now. And while they're making their way to the stage, what I want you to do is I want you to write on that card the things that you are not trusting God in, but you so desperately want to. And then as the band plays, I want you to bring that card up here and I want you to place it at the foot of the cross. And then I'm going to ask you to kneel in prayer and pray that God will help you let go of whatever it is you're holding so tightly to. Ask him to help you submit to his will for your life, no matter what that looks like, and to help you walk obediently as he directs your life. Now, if it crowds up here at the cross, that's all right. Just pick any part of the front of the stage. And if you need somebody to pray with, the prayer team and I, we're going to be on either side of the stage. And we're ready to pray with you. And if you're taking your first steps in obedience, your first steps in trusting God today, please come forward and let us pray with you. See, all trust, all trust begins with kneeling at the foot of the cross. Because God's desire is for us to be in that position. To be kneeling in submission to him, holy and dependent upon him and him alone. Waiting patiently with outstretched arms. Trusting confidently that he will catch us. Psalms, 19, uh, Psalms 9, 19 says this, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those 
who search for you. Are you searching for God today? Are you? Are you trusting him with your whole life? Because God is waiting to catch you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are so trustworthy, God, that you are so worthy of our trust. God, thank you that your promises and your word are true. And God, that you do not abandon us. God, those that cry out for your name, you are there to catch. God, thank you that you love us so much that you've provided a way for us to have a deep, intimate relationship with you. Lord, my prayer today would be that we would all trust in you with our whole heart, God. That we would let go of pride and rebellion and sin. God, and we would give it all to you. That we would submit our lives because of what you've done on the cross. Father, help us be obedient to what you are calling us to do. Speak to our hearts today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jill and I started in a small group um, years ago, and I never really saw ourselves as leading uh, small groups. Uh, we were just kind of one of those that wouldn't uh, just kind of sit in the background and uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to go through Financial Peace University. I was offered through the church. And uh, we were really never really good at our finances in terms of... Uh, we had a lot of debt. We had um, some credit card debt and probably thirty to forty thousand dollars in student loan debt, and we paid it all off in two years. Two years. Uh, for me, who it, it takes a lot to motivate me, um, and especially in terms of um, spending money, um, where no one had to save money. It was it was nice to see that it wasn't as difficult that you may think it is. I mean, most of the things we've heard before, and he just kind of put it in a, in a perspective that was really easy to follow. Well, it's changed our family because, you know, Jill and I were never really on the same page on a lot of things, and finances was definitely one of them. And it just really brought us closer together. Um, it strengthened our marriage, um, and, you know, from that we've been able to be able to do things, uh, more things with the family, um, and, and realize how important uh, our family is, and it's not about the stuff uh, that we accumulate, um, and that's kind of where I think the world kind of puts that in our face, where you have to have all these things to be happy, um, and we kind of found out the opposite of that going through financial peace. Well, now living this way seems very easy, but I think it helped us to get our priorities in line with the way that God wants them to be. It strengthened our faith and and it's actually helped us grow closer to him because we're doing what he wants us we're being obedient it made me realize um, you know how I wasn't being um, the leader in my family um, and then there was some shame in that um, you know I just kind of wanted to crawl in a hole and, and kind of hide from from those things because I just felt like I wasn't living up to uh, her expectations, but you know, obviously, God has high expectations for us as well. So that was that was tough to get through. But after going through that process, you know, now I can kind of see how that helped me. That growing pain helped me come through. Financial. 
piece is also heart changing. A lot of people think it's just about budgets and spreadsheets and getting your finances in order, but it is heart changing. It's been heart changing for both of us and a lot of the other families that we've seen go through financial peace. I think, I mean, for <clears throat> when we went through FPU, uh, you know, we didn't have, neither one of us had large incomes. And, you know, we realized that uh, this could be something that could hinder us down the line if we didn't take care of it. Um, and, you know, because it was that important to us, I think it's helped us to communicate better in other areas of our life, you know, and that's definitely something I feel like it's, it's helped me um, open up and it's still kind of changing me um, ongoing. And I think that's why we have that passion to be able to share uh, what we've done with other people, you know, through leading FBU classes and as well as going digging deeper into one-on-one -on -one counseling. Uh, for me, I personally, I mean, and I think Jill has uh, the same insight is I think, you know, God can, can use people um, of all backgrounds to, to change people. And I think he's used us because we are so uh, very typical to a, a lot of people I can relate to, um, you know, with a family and, and kind of have that uh, relationship with other people. And I feel like it's helped us be able to say, you know, we, we realize your struggles because we're there. Um, and, and knowing that our income is not, um, you know, so great that it makes it easier for us. I mean, we really have to work at it. And I think that's helped us uh, stay more passionate and focused on it. Being debt-free allowed um, me to be able to make a decision to work in a job that I enjoy versus working at a job that I didn't enjoy as much, and it gave me that freedom to choose where I wanted to work, and I didn't have, I wasn't held down to a job just because I needed the money. I mean, uh, being debt-free has also given us peace. Because we know where our money is going, that's not something that we argue about because we have a plan and we're sticking to the plan. And so in that aspect, it definitely probably alleviates a lot of arguments and uh, we're on the same page as far as what we want to accomplish. I'm Jill Giddens. And I'm Mike Giddens. Imagine what you could do for God if you were debt-free. You know, um, trusting in God with our finances is often the hardest thing to do. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about love, and there, there's a reason that he did that. And it's because Jesus said that wherever your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, there is where your heart is also. And see, God wants your whole heart. He wants all of it. He wants you to trust him in every area of your life because if you give over that control whatever it is that you're holding on so tightly those finances if that's it if you're holding on to your money that tightly God knows and what we've experienced and what Mike and Jill have experienced is that when you let that go and you have that open hand that God will do amazing things